The Pac-12 is collapsing before our eyes. It's Monday, August 7th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Schools are departing the Pac-12, and it's unclear what the future of that conference will be. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports reporter Amanda Krisovich. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, I so I'm pretty speechless about this, but I'm going to see if I can try to uh, explain it to you. Hopefully, not fully speechless because this is a podcast. Uh, so just just to get some basic facts out there, obviously we knew USC and UCLA were on their way out of the Pac-12. Those are you know two major schools for them. Uh, but in the last few days, many other schools are um, out the door in the in the next year or so. Who else is leaving? Yeah, so I'll just start by saying that all uh, the exit dates for all of these schools is 2024 because that's when the Pac-12's current media deal runs out, right? Um, so as you probably know, last week Colorado announced that it would leave the Pac-12 to join the Big 12. And that was before the Pac-12 presented its media deal um, to members, which was, um, I believe, on Tuesday was the first time. I don't know. All the days went together. But essentially, between Tuesday and Friday, uh, a bunch of other schools realized they did not want to be in the Pac-12, given the option that they were presented with. So on Friday, five schools announced that they would leave the Pac-12. Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten, and Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah will be joining Colorado in the Big 12. So if you're doing the math, that leaves only four schools left in the Pac-12. Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Berkeley. So I want to get to uh, what happens next in a moment, but just to linger on the why here for a sec, is it just that the media deal wasn't coming together. What did come together wasn't appealing enough. Other schools each individually said, you know, I see more media money in another conference. And, you know, UCLA and USC already broke the seal here. Let's let's take the better deal. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's 100% driven by television money. Um, you know, the, the Pac-12 had over a year to try to come up with a new media deal. Um, and they couldn't deliver. And there are several reasons why. Um, I won't get into them here, but um, you can read the feature that I wrote for uh, this past weekend um, about how TV money created the Power Five and then killed it. Uh, And that gives a lot more detail. Shameless plug. But essentially, the fact that the Pac-12 couldn't come up with a media deal that was palatable to its existing members, um, you know, the deal was with Apple, which was not going to provide the reach or distribution of an ESPN or a Fox. And clearly it wasn't going to offer enough money to keep uh, the schools together either. Um, I would say 99.9% of the reason that this happened is because of um, TV money. Um, And then, you know, the 0.1%, which is the other reason is the fact that there were other conferences also because they would get more TV money who were willing to take some of the Pac-12 schools. Yeah, and 
sorry, I just blanked for, blanked out for a moment. Um, yeah, definitely read Amanda's feature on frontofficesports.com or subscribe to your news our newsletter if you, you haven't already. In terms of what happens next, is it possible that the four remaining schools can form the core of a new Pac-12 or are they just going to each go their own way? Yeah, so I'll give you like the three scenarios that I see are, are plausible. Um, these are not scenarios where like sources have told me that this is what's happening, right? This is just like what I see makes the most sense. The first scenario is that these four schools just like call all the other power five conferences and see if anybody will take them. And if anybody will, they just, you know, disperse, right? And the PAC 12 is over as we know it, um, officially. The second, option is potentially these schools try to merge with um, the ACC, I think makes the most sense, right? Also spells the end of the PAC-12 as we know it. The one way that I see the PAC-12 as an entity continuing is if these four schools merged with the Mountain West, um, because remember, San Diego State, for example, that is in the Mountain West was considering jumping to the PAC-12. So they merge with the Mountain West and like the Big East, uh, the new Big East did 10 years ago, the Mountain West can get the legal rights to the name Pac-12 and they be rename themselves the Pac-12, become the new Pac-12 and Commissioner Gloria Navarez uh, becomes the new Pac-12 commissioner. And by the way, the first Power 5 female commissioner. So just going to put that out there. Um so those are the three scenarios that I see happening. But like in this landscape, like anything goes, honestly. So I can't say with any amount of certainty that that's actually what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, we're, we're obviously at a huge inflection point, but still a lot of dominoes to fall here. Thanks so much for your insights here. Amanda Kristovich, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Up next, I spoke to the CEO of the National Cycling League, Andrea Paganelli. Right now, we are seeing a big push to build leagues and fan bases around sports that lots of people are already playing, whether that's soccer, lacrosse, or pickleball. Cycling may have the largest gap among sports between what people do and what they watch. Andrea and the NCL have some novel ideas to try to make cycling into a spectator sport, and you'll hear all about that next. I am joined now by Andrea Paganelli, CEO of the National Cycling League. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for having me. The National Cycling League is a new thing, newish, launched last year. You just had your first event. What is the vision for this league? So the National Cycling League is the first majority, minority, and female-owned sports league. You know, what's very unique is the cycling industry is primed for a league like this. There's 50 million cyclists. The, you know, industry is the you know second most participatory sport in the world. There's 1 billion global professional cycling viewers annually. Um, and for us, we just wanted to bring that all together. Um, what I'm most excited about is the fact that, you know, our mission around equality and gender equity is beyond just our ownership group and is also integrated into our staff and our points system. So our teams are both female and men, and there's a collective scoring system where those points are 
added at the end. Um, so it's almost as if the WNBA team played the first quarter and the NBA team played in the second quarter and it's a combination of those points. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. On that 1 billion professional cycling viewers annually figure, how much of that is, you know, the Tour de France and uh, I'm actually honestly struggling to think of other major cycling events. So, you know, maybe the Olympics, um, yeah, how, how much is the major events and how much is, you know, other, you know, not as big as the Tour de France events that that um, or we might not have heard of? So that's a good question. The Tour de Femmes, which is the women's side of the Tour de France, had 22 million uh, streams last year. There have already been stories around just a 3x growth across the board on the Tour de France from this year to last year. So I think as we start seeing some of these figures come out, everyone's going to be very impressed. What sort of broadcasting media situation are are you developing for the NCL? Yeah, so we are one of the only U.S.-based cycling crits who uh, has an international broadcast partner. We are on GCN, uh, which is part of Warner Brothers. Um, we you'll be able to tune in and watch any of our races on GCN Plus. As you look at how you know Criterium grows, I think the more racing here in the U.S. has a broadcast partner is going to be the way that the sport itself continues to escalate. And are you structuring your your events and your format uh, to kind of make it more accessible to a mainstream audience? What we've done is really change cycling, right? When you look at the Tour de France, and that's what most people think about, right? When most people take a step back, they can name a lot of athletes. They can name NBA players, NFL players. I'm an avid soccer fan, so I can name a lot of MLS or NWSL players. But most people, unless you're a cycling fan, you can mostly just name Lance Armstrong, right? Um, Just is, it's how it is. Um, And so our goal is to you know, do a lot more storytelling in this sport and to make it a lot more accessible through some of these community partners, giving away bikes and just like anything, telling a lot more stories. So people know that if this is a career or passion you want to pursue, you can make it. The other way that we're changing it is not every cycling race needs to look like the Tour de France. So like I mentioned with our model of the men's and women's races being a combination of the points, it's also a lot shorter, right? You know, people want to consume sports in a really condensed amount of time. Going back to soccer, I think it's the perfect amount of time. Not that I'm biased and love it, but it is. And look at what they're doing with basketball, uh, with baseball, right? They, they're trying to make that a shorter event. Um, our races are, like I said, 1.4, 1.5 max. Um, we can bring that down to 0.9 if we really need to, but it's anywhere from 20 to 30 laps. There's points every lap. So if you cross the line first, second, or third, you get points. And then there's a lot more points available for the last lap. So when you look at traditional cycling, you see the peloton go across that finish line right? Because generally that's where all the points are. So for us, you're getting points every lap. So there's almost like this 
energetic movement every lap. And then also this charge towards the finish line for that last lap too. You just had your first event in Miami. Um, tell me about how that went and sort of everything that went into to um, making this league, you know, a thing, you know, having your inaugural moment. That event was, and where we are today, I mean, by definition, it, it was a massive success. I'll also pause and say, like, setting expectations, because I know, like, this platform, I'm speaking to a lot of my colleagues in the industry. We are, we are a startup. So we put on one event. We have a long way to go. I'm just excited for people to join us for the journey as we continue to build this. We had 20,000 people on site. We shut down South Beach. We had 650 VIPs. We broadcasted live on GCM+. Plus. Uh, we did an economic impact study with the city of Miami and had a $20 million uh, impact. It was absolutely tremendous. I saw you had Jalen Ramsey and a few other, you know, big names in the NFL uh, as as investors and people involved in the league. How did that come about? So we have, and I'll kind of take a, a step back. We have wonderful investors. Um, Paris Wallace, very successful entrepreneur, started Ovia Health. Randall Clark, Mark Wilkins. David Melgetta, obviously, um, tremendously successful NFL agent. And their vision of what the future of sports could look like was where this all started. And they brought in phenomenal investors who wanted to be a part of what we were building. Um, we have some exciting uh, celebrity investors in I would say the next week or two that you'll also see, but you know, Will Ventures, Founders Collective, Collab Capital, Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, Michelle Roberts. Um, there's people who are part of this, a very diverse group of investors who, you know, I'm very proud to be able to work with daily to to make this come to life. Um, and we have people who are stepping forward, you know, each week who want to be part of this change and this movement. And to finish us up here, as you look over the next couple of years, say, what does success look like for this league? I think success is executing on what the vision is. So with a startup, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to do something and it's something different to do it. We have really um, beautiful goals. And what I like about what we're doing is we are methodical, we are clear, we are setting plans, and we are setting the right timelines to ensure that this is around for the long haul, right? Because we, we are building something different. Um, so what does that look like? We are being innovative within the sport, right? We are creating our own rules, our own league. We are impacting community everywhere we go. We are maintaining our commitment to gender equity and being majority minority and women owned. Um, and just keeping the integrity of what this league stands for. 
you know, there's this interesting growth right now in cycling that I, I probably saw a few years ago in women's soccer, frankly. And then I see that happening now. And so it's also nice that mission around sports is aligning with this wonderful wave. And so being able to, especially someone who's been in this industry so long, being able to, to ride that for good. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Andrea Pagnelli, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is it for today. Condolences to the U.S. women's national team, which saw their quest for an unprecedented three-peat end with a loss on Sunday to Sweden. The silver lining is that the competition in global women's soccer has never been better and that the U.S. sports world is about to roar to life with football starting up and basketball and hockey on the horizon. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.